and welcome to Glittering a Turd. If you're new here, welcome, 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 welcome. If you've already listened to an episode before, uh, oh my goodness, thank you. I guess I must be doing something right. So today's episode, my cat Lady Marmalade, who you might actually be able to hear purring away in the background. She's sat on my lap currently. We have just been listening to the chat that I had with my amazing guest, Nadia Hussein. Oh my goodness, what a woman. And I say woman for a reason, and you're about to find out why. Wow, so she chose to talk about quite a huge turd. Um, I already know that there will be moments over the next 40 minutes where you will be ferociously nodding along in agreement or have the urge to punch the air. I definitely did when I had the chat at the time. I actually think it was during this chat that I realised just how lucky I was to be doing this podcast. It was a real moment and uh, I feel honoured that Nadia spoke to me. So yeah, uh, on that cheesy note, (laughs) I guess I should probably let you get on and hear it. Um, So enjoy. Today, I am speaking with published author, cook, writer, columnist and presenter, Nadia Hussein. I've read that out in the exact way that you have written in your book, because I think in a way you described yourself as such and you almost feel icky about doing it from what I could tell from the book, but I think shout it from the rooftops, you are all those things and so much more. Um, I think best known for winning the Great British Bake Off in 2015, I can't believe it's so long ago, and making us all cry when you told us on camera how much it meant to you. And you gave this phenomenal speech and I was blown away and so many other people were blown away by that. So I'm really happy that today we get to talk about turds and how we glitter them. Um, welcome to our chat. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're right. I do feel this ick when I uh, write, when, when I kind of say all of that out loud. But I just think, actually, I've come to a point in my life where it's like, why? Like, it's a retraining of the brain um, because it's muscle memory to just kind of just downplay everything that we do. And 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 and, and so I, it, it's taking, it's a lot of learning to get to a point where like, do you know what? I'm actually okay with that. So uh, that was a lovely introduction. Oh, I'm glad. Um, yeah, and I think I have a feeling this is, the theme of that is going to come out in this chat a bit more. And it's certainly what I felt when I read your book and um, your memoir. And by the end, it was as if you were finally okay to, to say all these things and proclaim that you are all of these things. So... Let's get to it. Can you please tell me what you want to talk to us about today and what your turd is? Okay, so this is like a really big one because I did spend a lot of time yesterday and last night thinking turd, turd. Like life throws a lot of turds at you. Yes. It's so messy and and, and it does... Every time you feel like you are no longer in in, in the quicksand of turd world... And then you suddenly you're like you're stuck in it again, aren't you? There's no like there's no end. And I was like, when have I? And I asked my husband this morning while we were both half asleep, and I said, "Have you ever have you ever glittered a turd?" And he's like, "I don't know what you're saying. <laughs> like, are you sleep talking?" And I said, "You know, like has something terrible happened or something bad happened, and have you found a, a way out of it?" I was, I was, I was, he's like, "No, I think isn't that just life?" And I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> 
Yes, it is. But you know, I, I had to kind of, it was a really, I mean, you know what? It's a weird, it's a funny question because it makes you either, I don't know. I just, it's a really funny question and it really got me thinking, especially as we've had as a family quite a difficult time over the last couple of months, um, glittering a turd or at least embellishing it. And um, for me, and this is, it might feel like such a big thing, but it was being a woman. That was my biggest turd. Like that for me was everything about being a woman was the turdiest thing in the world. Like lots of people will listen to this and think, what is she on about? And perhaps won't get what I'm, what I'm saying, but everything about being a woman felt restrictive, felt closed. Uh, it felt like hurdle jumping. And I'm, I and I have to say, it's a part of my life that I am consistently fighting and consistently glittering and embellishing and trying to find the the good in. And by by no means am I there where I'm like, yes, it's wonderful, because it isn't. And I think obviously recent events, you know, makes you makes you really kind of really think where women are today. Yeah, and I think any woman that hasn't questioned who we are and what society deems we can do or can't do or should be or shouldn't be well I, I think she's gotten away with something because surely every woman has had these thoughts I think this is an amazing turn to discuss today I'm so glad you brought this to the table because it's certainly like so you talk about this so much in your book and I'm so glad that you're happy to talk about it again today let's go back to okay maybe little Nadia and and how you felt as a child growing up as a girl, because I get the sense that in your family, everyone's slightly happier if a boy comes out, not a girl. <laughs> yeah, well, I am one of six. So there's four sisters and two brothers. And my mum had my mum had two girls and then it was me. I openly talk about my like my, but my birth story and how I came to be and my dad's very first words <laughs> when I was born. So my dad's very first word, the moment I was born, he wasn't even there. He went out for a fag and I came into the world while he went out for a fag. And the nurse kind of ran out and said, Miss Riley, Miss Riley, come over, come over. You've just had a bouncy baby girl. And his first words were, bastard. <laughs> yeah. Because he had a third daughter and, mm -hmm. and and it's something that I always kind of as a child when you hear that story it it really really cuts and in that moment that's your first kind of realization that you're not good enough that's that, that was my first awakening to the fact that the world isn't fair and there are there's a hierarchy and there are scales and we are all in different places and that was my first taste uh, after hearing that story and I remember always feeling really angry about it and you know like through the years I've asked dad you know I've asked my dad lots of questions and we've spoken about it and my dad always says you know I, I I love the fact that I've got lots of daughters but society doesn't and a part of me was always really even as a as a, as a sort of six seven year old really angry with my dad and said dad but why did you have to say that word but dad why couldn't you just be happy and 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 I suppose he wasn't strong enough to kind of fight society something that I think I've always really been strong. I've always been really kind of vocal about fighting against the tide. Uh, and just because society says it has to be a certain way does not mean that that rule is um, set in stone, you know. And so, you know, I, I used to get really angry with my dad, but, you know, his, you know, he grew up in a different era. He grew up with different pressures to me. So uh, maybe that fighting that fight wasn't 
on the top of his list. Um, but yeah, I remember being sort of six or seven thinking, I hate that. I hate that that was your first word. I hate that you, everybody hated that I was a girl. Um, and I hate that I wasn't celebrated. I hate that people were not happy because when a child comes into the world, boy or girl, it's a happy occasion. But when I was born, it wasn't because I was the third daughter and there was lots of never mind and lots of tears and lots of uh, maybe next time. So at what age did they actually tell you that story? I think I might have been six or seven when I asked and we, we would be when I was wow. really curious, but I was quite a curious child. Um, and by this point, you know, it was quite a normal thing to talk about our position in our house and the fact that, you know, by then I'd had another brother. So he was just kind of like he was the heir to the throne and it was very much prodigal child you know like he was he was he was the boy and he was going to take the throne and he was going to carry on the name and 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 all of that so by six or seven it was all very much you know I, I think I even even at such a tender age I knew where yeah. I was which seems really sad when I think about it yes, now it really does and so you knew your place but how soon after that did you think well I actually want to rebel against that. This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. I want to be heard. I don't think that kicked in till much later because there was this kind of point where I went from a seven, eight-year-old to 13-year-old where, I mean, we all know what it's like to be hormonal and 13 and kind of trying to discover yourself. And um, there was this point where my dad then he would cut all of our hair. We've never been to a hairdresser. So my dad's really good at cutting hair. So he, and he really is like, he, he really is good at cutting hair. So he would cut all of our hair and I have big curly hair that grows up and out. And so my dad never knew what to do with it. So he was like, Oh, do you know what? This is really, this is just too difficult. And so he gave me what was like a really bad pixie cut with no product. You know, like I had, I didn't, it wasn't styled. It was just this, like, it looked like a Lego hat that was on my head. Right. So I had this short hairdo that made me look like a boy. And so when we went to our trip on our, we used to go to like an annual trip to Bangladesh. And um, everyone was like, I'm sure you have, I'm sure you have just one boy. And, the, and I was like, no, 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 I have two. And suddenly there was this shift where everyone thought I looked like a boy. So they just started to treat me like a boy. And suddenly I was able to do things that the girl version of me couldn't do anymore, couldn't do when I was in Bangladesh. So girls were not allowed to go to the fish market or the market full stop. Suddenly, because I looked like a boy and nobody questioned it, I was able to go to the market late at night when all the women had cooked and cleaned and put the kids to bed. I was there with the men in this night market where they were drinking tea and smoking. And I was like, whoa, like men get to live this whole other life. And I don't, I don't have to be in bed by, you know, by sunset. And I don't have to be in the kitchen helping the women clean. I could have this life. It was so confusing. I can't tell you how confusing that was as a 13 year old, because there I was trying to figure myself out. But just because I had this haircut and that I wore a pair of jeans and a t-shirt and because I could pass for a boy, not developed yet, so I could pass for a boy. I was like, oh, hold on a second. This is what, this is the freedom boys get that I can't have. Yeah. And I got a little taste of that and thought, oh, and I kept my hair short for years, years after that, thinking this is my way in. Right. If I'm a boy, I've got all these opportunities. Then, you know, kind of you get to 14, 15 and you I, I wouldn't say I'm a girly girl, but 
I loved the idea of having long hair and wearing earrings and feeling pretty. And then with that, there I was back to square one where I wasn't allowed to go to a night market anymore because I had hips and boobs and I, I looked like a girl. And so all the things that I had at 13 with a boy's haircut, I no longer had anymore. So, and the only reason why I didn't have any of that was because I was a girl again. And, and that for me was a massive shift in my hating being a girl. I hated it. I was like, I hate this. The world was open for men. You know, they could do whatever they wanted. They could stay out late. They could go out with friends. They could socialize. I didn't. I had to go to school. I had to be home. I had to, and, and those rules didn't apply to my brothers. My brothers could do all of the things my dads and uncles did. But my sisters, we had to be at home. We had to dress a certain way. We had to be modest. We had to watch how we spoke. You know, everything. It was all very controlled. And I thought, wow, I wish I was a boy. So what were your sisters? What were they thinking? Could you talk to them about this and how unfair all this was? I, do you know what? They were very much, I think they hated it as much as I did. Yeah. But it didn't anger them as much. Like, I think they had this... And, and that comes with growing up in a community where the rules are different for men and women, where you do get to a point where you just kind of, there's acceptance and there's that kind of, yeah, I think with my sisters, it was very much kind of, they wanted, I think just like me, they wanted to push the boundaries. And I, I know between us, we would talk about pushing those boundaries and how unfair it was and the fact that we couldn't do what everybody and every male in the family was doing. And I think we did kind of think about pushing the boundaries and what it would feel like to push the boundaries but we never did you know we never did it was it was like a it was like a fairy tale sat in our bedroom kind of thinking oh imagine if we could go out late oh imagine if we could go out with our friends oh imagine if we could go to the movies all of those things that my brothers were allowed to do that we weren't allowed to do it was just like it was like living a fairy tale it was like they were living in disney and we were we we were we, we were we were the Cinderella part of Disney where we didn't get to do all of the things that they did and it, and, and and I think for myself I wanted to I wanted to fight against it a little bit more because I was definitely myself and my second sister we were definitely the ones that pushed a little bit more okay. and 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 asked questions because they were questions that my parents never had answers to they just would say oh it's just the way it is and that wasn't enough for me well I think it takes real guts and a certain level of bravery to kind of say, well, actually, this isn't okay. And I and I don't agree with this. And I want things to be different for myself. So you finished school, and you wanted to go to university, right? Yeah, so I uh, did really well at school, went to college, did really well. And, um, you know, my plan was always go to, to go to university. That yeah. was something that I said from the off, I was like, I'm gonna go to university. That's my plan. It was, I had no, there was no other, there was no plan B. For me, it was always going to be university. So it's not something that was a shock to my parents. They knew, but I think, um, I think a part of them hoped and thought that actually she's just saying it. She's not, it's not going to happen. Um, they knew I was going to get the grades, but I think they thought that, nah, she's not, she, it'll be fine. When it comes to the time, she won't go to university because at this point, nobody in our family had, had been to university. I mean, I look back at it now as an adult and I look back at it as, I look back now as a grown-up and with a level head and I look back at my parents and think actually, you know, as immigrants, as people who had never sent anybody in their family to university, it was like me asking to go to the moon for them. So I, I suppose in hindsight, as an adult, I kind of understand where some of that fear might have come from, but I wish 
I wished like at the time that my parents had the guts to say, you know what, actually you go do whatever you need to do to be happy. But in the end, um, my parents didn't let me go to university. I got in, I was two weeks away from moving out. And my mom, my mom was just like, absolutely no way are you going to university. And if you do, you're not coming home. So that was a big ultimatum at 18 to have to kind of think, oh, well, do I go to university and lose my family or do I uh, not go to university and, and, and keep what I've, keep what I'm familiar with. And so for me, ultimately, that was that was the decision I made. And I had no choice in that decision. I just had kind of had no, I couldn't, I couldn't leave. Part of me wishes I was brave enough just to say, you know what, I'm going. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I didn't. And I was too scared to, to make such a big decision and not have the support of my family. So I didn't. And then I ended up working two jobs, and uh, just working really hard. And that was that was me rebelling. That was me saying, well, if I'm not allowed to go to university, then I'm not going to be at home. And the only way I'm not going to be home is if I work every hour, every minute God sends. So that's what I did. I worked and worked and worked. And it got to a point, sort of two years of working, where, you know, we get to, like, my sister got married at 17. And sort of everyone was, my, my sisters, my cousins all got sort of married early 20s. And, um, you know, my dad was like, listen, you're hitting 21 now, you know, your bones are going to start to creak, you better get married. And I was like, Dad, really? Do I have to get like, but I did what I didn't want to do, which was eventually like, I just didn't want to go down that road. I wanted to go into education. I wanted a career. I wanted something different for myself. And um, in the end, because there was no other path, I was like, well, what choice do I have but to get married and so um in the end that was kind of where my path led I suppose begrudgingly yeah I love I loved the image that you created um when I was reading your words about like there you were at home um obviously working all the hours um but suddenly you went from a a two-pack hoodie wearing um early 20 year old eating baguettes and butter watching Pokemon to being a wedded woman with duties and people to please. And I, I can't even imagine, but I'm so glad I tried to and that you created such a vivid image to your amazing words to go from that life that you knew so well, you knew nothing else really, to being in someone else's family and almost becoming their cook and their cleaner. And you didn't know these people. I, I had, I didn't know any of them. Like it was a weird semi-arranged marriage so I had never met my husband's brothers or sisters that I'd met them all for the first time the day I moved in. I mean I I hate just going when I was a kid I hated going to stay at my grandma sometimes because I didn't really know her that well and I thought why do I have to stay at this old person's house but this is like (laughs) I mean I really tried to imagine it and it's so hard but presumably I mean, could you speak to them about this? Were you able to share your feelings? How how did um, your new husband react to your feelings about it? You know what? He is, um, he's amazing. Like he, I call him my oak tree, you know, and, and oak tree doesn't grow overnight, you know, like it takes years and years of growth and uh, nurturing. And, you know, we did that together. You know, we, we, we were very young. I was 20, he was 23. Uh, we had this, we spoke to each other for six months, but it wasn't a, it, you know, it was a relationship that was on the phone. We'd never met each other. We got married after six months. And so it was all very new to us. 
Um, and as much as he had to fit in with my family, ultimately I had to do the bulk of the fitting in because I was living with his family. And as for talking, talking isn't a big thing in our culture. It's not something that, you know, people don't sit and talk about their feelings. They don't talk about, it's that kind of very British, keep calm and carry on. You just be quiet, you get on and you have a job to do. And I suppose I went from, for me, the hardest thing was going from being completely unheard within my own family than to go to another family where you are, again, completely voiceless, but you don't even know them. So you can't even vent any anger on them because you don't know them. Whereas with your own family, it's different because you kind of, you take out the people you love the most, right? That's what, that's just life you do. And like, I didn't know them or love them and I couldn't take out on them. So my poor husband got the brunt end of all of that without even realizing that I obviously suffer from mental health issues and, 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 and he was a new husband and he was trying to accommodate for me, but also trying to keep balance between his parents. And all of that was a lot to juggle as two very young people. And we somehow managed to navigate those first sort of five or six years of our life really well, I must say, because like, it is not the easiest thing in the world to do because we're trying to, you know, raise a family, we're trying to buy a house, we're trying to understand each other and grow a love for each other and manage our own families. So that was one of the hardest things. And I think there are lots of people who aren't going to, who are going to listen to this and think, I don't get that. It's a completely different world. But that's why it's really important to kind of share these stories, Mm -hmm. because as much as it is a completely alien world for lots of people, it isn't for a lot of people. It is a lot of people who listen to this and think, oh, I totally get this. I totally get this. But it is really important to kind of talk about that, because just because I come from a different culture and background, those feelings of not having a seat at the table are very common whether you are Bangladeshi, whether you're British, whether you're immigrant, not immigrant, whatever your background, not having a seat at the table is something we can all relate to. Yes. Uh, I tried to, yeah, I'm just just so amazed by getting through that. And obviously in in a country that is at the best of times not accepting of other cultures, so for you, you must have, it must have been so confusing being born here, but not feeling like you belonged here, but also not feeling like you belonged part of a culture that you didn't really see was like was really you and in your blood either. So navigating that must have been so tricky. That you know what that is a that is a um, uh, that is a road that is never ending, and I can see myself forever being on that road, never going to park up. It's going to be that is good. That's just life because as somebody who has grown up in England, you know I've adopted certain uh, British customs that, that that you know my parents know nothing about, and there are things as a Bangladeshi that I will do that are never going to be good enough for Bangladeshis. You know, like there's, it's, it, there's always going to be, I call myself a person of the gray area, you know, like I am a human of the gray area because there is, there are people like us who kind of don't fit anywhere. Yeah. You know, we don't, um, you know, I'm not, I'm never going to be British enough. I'm never going to be a Bangladeshi enough, but I am enough. And that's where I sit in the gray area where I get to, you know, cook, raise my children, live my life in that gray area. And just because it's gray doesn't mean it's not colorful. Just because it's not familiar doesn't mean it's not colorful. And and for me it is, and, and I, I, I'm done trying to fit in to any world because I create my own world and that that's, that's really important. And I know I'm not alone in that because 
as isolating as it might sound, there are so many of us, so many of us who are like, you know, actually, I don't fit here. I don't fit there. And I'm just, I just, I'm done fitting. I'm, I'm done trying to fit into a shape that wasn't made for me. Oh my God, allow more grey. We need more grey and we need more stories like yours. We need more. Whoever wants to be completely black and white, that's just boring, isn't it? And also so done. Like we're all so individual and so unique that how anyone can not agree with that, I, I don't know. But do you think your mum and obviously your your grandma was very much set in the way that she was brought up with and she needed to look after you when she could and do you think she ever looked at you or your mum ever looked at you and was kind of glad and a little bit proud that you did rebel and that you were the first sort of I guess girl in your family that said no I will do the things I will I will marry and I will and I will create a family and and all the rest of things but do you think they now could look at you and go yes I'm proud of that she rebelled a little do you know what I'd like to think that there is a part of them that is a little bit proud. They've never actually really voiced it. They've never actually said it out loud. You know, they're not, yeah, my mum's not the kind of pat you on the back kind of, I'm really proud of you. So yeah, no, it's not something that I've ever heard. I'd like to think secretly somewhere in there that they are proud of me. And, but do you know what it is? I think over the last, certainly over the last two or three years, the need for other people to be proud of me has really subsided. I used to really care about my parents being proud of me, um, even though I know that if they are, they would never tell me. They would never tell me because it wouldn't be a humbling thing to do. You know, like it's Mm. feet on the ground, know where you're from, very much kind of grounded. So if I'd done something that would make them proud, they're not the kind of people that will say, you know, we're really proud of you. So I'd like to think deep down in there somewhere that they are, but I don't live my life in the hope that they are because actually what matters is, is that I'm proud of me, that my husband's proud of me and that my children are proud of me because ultimately I strive to be the best role model for my children and for my nephews and nieces and I hope that that next generation that are coming up I hope they look at me and think actually we're really proud of her that pride really matters to me when my nephews and my nieces and my kids say you know what mom you're we're really proud of what you've done and and they see themselves in me that's all I set out to achieve so yeah I hope part of me that my mom part of me wishes that my mom's really proud I hope she's proud of me Uh, my mom still to this day is like are you done now? I'm like, no, I'm not on a jolly. You know, like it's an actual job. You know, I actually like work. And she's like, yeah, but you're having way too much fun. And I'm like, yeah, well, you, you can like your work. Um, uh, but my nan, bless her, she doesn't speak English, but she like she has ways of, of, of showing her pride. And, and she, like, I, I picked her up yesterday and she, she, I sat with her and she sort of rubbed my head and said, shall I put oil in your hair? And she said, shall I put oil in your hair? Um, you work too hard. So I know that's like, I know part of her is proud of me because she knows I work really hard. And so she's like taking a moment, like she can barely see or walk, but she wants to oil my hair. And like that, those are the moments that make me feel, oh, you know what, this is worth it. Because like they had to struggle as immigrants for us to be where we are today. So I always kind of, I'm really aware of that. Yeah, but there's something that you said in the book actually about your nan and and you said that, that you are the change that she dreaded her whole life. Yes, an independent woman. That is, I think, I don't know if that's just a, I don't know if that's just a, a cultural thing on my end or if it's just a societal thing, but there is 
nothing you 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 should fear an independent woman i think people should fear independent women because with independent and that's why it's, it gets stripped from us it gets taken from us at every core at every aspect of our life our independence and our rights are stripped from us because with independence we are stronger than anything in the world and i think that's why we're stripped of it and i think that's something that my grandma she kind of looks at me and she fears the independence that she sees in my actions and in my in my words and in the way i behave because she knows what we can do she knows and i think deep down she's afraid of that but i think deep down somewhere there's a a woman who is 90 something years old who wishes she could have done the same you know because she is so outspoken it's unreal but she's at that age where she can get away with saying anything um she's at that age where she gets away with everything like i was talking to her yesterday and she said oh i'm so fed up of talking to you everybody that i used to love talking to is dead <laughs> the brutal honesty of an old person i love it love her honestly and i love that brutality and if we could harness some of that honesty that women have in their old age if we could have that in our youth imagine the changes we could make imagine the things that we could do the waves we could make and and that's really important so i think there is a part of my grandma who kind of fears for me because i have this independence but i think she never stops me she never says don't do it yeah everybody else around me says stop now enough now don't do it whereas my grandma's like just be safe i have a feeling you're she's living a completely life a life that she kind of wishes she'd had so she's living vicariously through you in a way. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. So I think we're we're verging on the glittery bits now, really. I I think I guess my question is at what at what stage do you think your feelings about being a woman potentially changed or how you how you harnessed being a woman for your good and for other people's good as well and you realized I I I can't change that I am a woman. I mean you could do but obviously you you were yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but you obviously chose not to um but at what stage did you think i'm going to stand in my power of being a woman and live a life as a woman happily and independently for me i think the pivotal and definitely i had definitely had and i'd love to say that it was the moment i had a child and thought this is it look at me i i i created life you know you would think in that moment you'd be like this is it like this is as powerful as i get but even then after having my first second third i never felt powerful i had my children but then all the focus is on this child and then when somebody has a child the focus isn't on the mother you know the mother who's just created life and and given birth to this child the focus is entirely on this beautiful beautiful bundle of deliciousness that's born which i totally get but now as a mother of three children whenever my like my sister-in-laws have had a ch- child like my focus is always on the mother because she's gone through something so life-changing that people almost forget that her entire life her body the way she thinks her hormones everything everything's changed but for even for me as a woman having my children did not make me feel empowered it didn't make me feel the strength that i imagined i would feel there was a pivotal moment for me when i won bake off mm-hmm. and that moment when I, i i had to overcome a lot of my demons i had to face a lot of my demons to get to that point 
as somebody who'd never been anywhere without her children, because my children I were like my safety blankets, I had gone from never being a night without my kids, never ever traveling without my kids, never being on a train on my own, never being on a taxi on my own. I had done all of, never being without my husband. I had done all of those things in the space of a weekend. Um, and then I did that week by week by week. And I didn't have to win the show or have a career afterwards to know what I felt. Because in that moment, I had overcome so many demons. For me, that point when I'd won, like, and, and I made that speech and everyone says that was like, that can't have been about cake. And, mm -hmm. and the truth is it wasn't, mm -hmm. you know, it was bigger than cake. It was bigger than winning a bakery show, a baking show. It was, it was for me, I'd finally found strength being a woman, being who I was. And in that moment, I was a mother, a wife, a daughter. I was all of those things. But in that moment, I was the woman that won Bake Off. I was the British Bangladeshi woman who won Bake Off. My identity completely changed in that moment because I, it, it was like almost looking back at myself, thinking, oh my goodness, you did that. That was you. And for the first time, I'd done something completely on my own, despite being told my whole life that you're a woman, you can't do that. You're a woman, you shouldn't do that. You're a woman, that's not the right thing to do. So there I was as a woman, as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, there I was stood in front of you know millions of people on national television saying, I won. That for me was my pivotal moment where I was like, oh my goodness, I'm unstoppable. And we felt it so much. Everyone watching felt it, felt it so much. Um, I mean, I shouldn't be proud of this, but it made Mary cry. Yeah, I don't know, I'd be proud of that. She cried. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. If I'd been there, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I did cry. In fact, yeah, the day after we watched it, I actually went to the office and I typed up the words that you had said and I printed them off and I, I hung them on our office wall. Did you? Yeah, and um, I mean, I was an office of women, um, and I just wanted us all to kind of like really feel those words and really um, take them on board as well. Um, did you apply for Bake Off, or did someone apply for you? I didn't apply. It was actually my husband who applied, and he did all the boring bits. Like he did all the boring, you know. And then he said, "Look," and it was two days before the deadline, and he just said, "Look, I think you should do this. I know you're going to think it's a ridiculous idea, and 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 that you shouldn't do it, but I think you should." I kind of like ummed and awed, and I said, "Absolutely no way, I'm not doing this. I can't, I can't get out of bed because of my anxiety. No way am I going to be able to go for auditions and things like that." So he was like, "Just do it, humor me," and so I did, thinking that I wouldn't get in, and then. Um, and then I did. And then I tried to get out of doing it three times. I tried to call them, tried to get out of doing it, and I couldn't get out of it. And, and my husband just said, look, I'm not ringing them and telling them you can't do it. You're going to you're gonna have to do that yourself. And then I thought, well, I can't. I can't physically take that opportunity away from myself. And it took a lot for me to not to ring them and just say, I don't want to do it. And then in the end, something just like my husband's like, just do it. Just, just you know, like, and he pestered me. And I said, look, I'll do it but I know I'm going to get kicked out week one. And I was like convinced. I was convinced I was going to get kicked out week one. And there I was, week 10. And I was like, what? What am I going to do in week 11? I have to be at home. <laughs> Finished. <laughs> yeah, I, so I guess, I mean, if you're already doubting yourself so much, it's not at any point would you suddenly go, I oh, do you know what, I've got this now. 
obviously you were going to doubt yourself until the very end. And I think it was that breakthrough moment of, I think you really needed to win for you to really finally realise that you deserved it and you deserved to be there and you deserved to have that life. Would Would you believe... Would you believe I actually handed the trophy back to Paul and said, are you sure you don't want to give it to Tamal? And he was like, don't be ridiculous. But like now I work in television, I realise they weren't going to film another two days just to give the trophy back to Tamal. <laughs> it, just, it just wasn't going to happen. Just for, do you remember the speech that you gave actually? Can you say it off pat? No, I don't know it off pat. Okay. I don't. Are you going to find it? Yeah, I've got it. I've, I've obviously got it, it right here. Do you want me to read it out or are you going to find it? Shall I find it? Yeah, you find it and read it out. Let me find it. My um, old primary, uh, my old high school, they actually have it written up and on a massive banner. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so it's quite cool. So it's and it's an all girls school, so they were really proud. Oh. I remember it was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, let's have a look. See. Yeah, I'm never gonna put boundaries on myself ever again. I'm never gonna say I can't do it. I'm never gonna say maybe. I'm never gonna say I don't think I can. I can and I will. I mean, did you have any idea you wanted to say those words or they they just come flooding out of you? Nah, not at all. Nah, they just came out. I, I, I had no idea I was going to say any of that. Um, I, I get asked all the time, actually. I get asked all the time. People always say, um, did you did you plan that? Did you, um, did you have it written down? I didn't know I was going to win. I did not know for a second I was going to win. I didn't even, like, I didn't even toy with the idea of winning because that would have just completely thrown me off I just kind of concentrated on baking which is what I was there for um and I get I I sort of stood in front of the camera for 20 minutes crying while my producer was crying unable completely to ask me any questions because she was just sobbing as well and those were the only words that came out and I suppose in that moment they came from somewhere really deep um, and that's why I know it resonated with so many people. I know so many people. I, I The day, two days after I'd won, I'd gone to Tesco and I met this mum with her little eight-month-old baby and she said, I've had, um, she, she came up and gave me a massive hug and that was my first real sort of interaction with someone outside of, you know, like that whole, I recognise you off telly. Like, and she came up to me and I, and, and she Uh, gave me a massive hug and said um, I have postnatal depression and I've not been able to leave my house for eight months but I watched you last night and I said I'm going to do my Tesco shop in store today and so I've come out and it's so bizarre that I see you here so you both sort of stood there and and cried for a little while till the baby decided that didn't want to be sat there in the trolley for too much longer and then she left and I'll never forget that I'll never forget that and I realized actually those words resonated with so many people um and that was so important. And I suppose that was the that was a stepping stone to all the things that I was going to do going forward. So obviously then a, a career in baking and cooking very much took off and you've written cookbooks and novels and obviously a memoir and children's books as well. And you say you've always been a writer and now finally, I guess you felt, gave yourself permission to really be a writer. What has changed, do you think? Like, how how do you feel being a woman today? It's a long road of moments where I have to stop and remind myself. It's been such an eye-opening experience raising a daughter because in those moments, 
even though I'm trying to raise her as a positive young woman and, and, and a conscientious young woman who's strong, I see her wobble. And in those moments when she wobbles, I look at her and I feel a sadness for her because I think, oh my goodness, she's, she's doubting her own existence. She's, she's questioning why. She's questioning her gender. She's questioning if the other side gets it better than her. I see it. I see it in the way she behaves. I see it in, in the things she says. And I'm like, no amount of fighting to accept being a woman is ever going to change the doubt that we feel. But what we can change is, is how we kind of, what we can change is, it's like, for, I think I thought that by accepting being a woman and, and, and being happy in my own skin and in my own body um, and in my own mind would mean that my daughter, I would raise a daughter that would be, would match me and she would have be open and she'd be like happy in her own skin. But the reality is she's going to face those exact exact feelings the difference with her is like I I was met with closed doors constantly I was met with closed doors that I didn't have a key for and now you know like I have a key for those doors and I've opened them and I've left them ajar for her so she doesn't have to go to the trouble of finding the key or opening the door she just has to walk through them and that's the difference and one day her daughter will have a door that's open and her daughter after her will there will be no doors. And then her daughter after her, there'll be no walls, you know? And her daughter after that, there'll be no ceilings. And her daughter after that, she'll fly, you know? And that's the hope, you know? I can't fix the world in, in, in one generation, but I can try. And for me, that is the joy of being a woman, is that with my independence and with the power that I feel, I can change the world and I can change how people think and... and and that's what gives me strength and that's what gives me power. So today, I mean, I know that I had to go through this journey of hating being a woman in order to love being a woman. Uh, and that's a journey that I've had to go on. Wow, that's like the best answer ever. And um, <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even know if we can add any more to that. It's so good. And I'm so glad that you've shared that Um and yeah, but having a daughter yourself, you must see it all through her eyes now and go, well, when I was your age, I felt this, but maybe you feel things differently right now. And you might second guess everything that's about to happen to her, but already feel, things feel so different. And I think you have carved a different path for her and so many other women. I'm sure of it. I hope so. I hope so. And, I, and I, I, one thing I always tell my daughter is financial independence uh -huh. big thing financial independence and running away money <laughs> have the two if you have running away money and you have financial independence you don't need anything uh, i wish they taught that stuff at school i know i really do i really wish they did teach that stuff at school because i get it all the other stuff is important but i do i really wish that there was more of kind of a focus on on uh, empowering people and and strengthening them from the inside. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, we can, we can, we can, you know, we can, we work slowly in from the inside out. And that's, that's my job. Ultimately, my job is so much bigger than being a role model to my children. Yeah. It's about being a role model to uh, the next generation. And I know there are loads of people who watch me and listen to me and, you know, and I have to always, you know, I am not perfect and I am not perfect version of myself, but God knows I try, you know, I try so hard 
to uh, be the best that I can be. And, and hopefully that's something that people can see and people can hear and, and they can take, even if they a tiny snippet from it, you know, that's my job done. Yeah, I think they absolutely do and will, hopefully from this as well. I think you are the ultimate turd glitterer, actually. And I, and I think, that, you know, being a woman is such a massive turd subject to cover, but um, I th- the fact that you've helped to reframe it for yourself and others, I think is, I mean, massive kudos to you. Okay, well, I'm going to ask you to share one, I guess, one learning that you've that you want to share with us um, about your turd or the glittering of the turd. Um, if that, if that's just one key thing that you want to take away from it, what would it be? Oh my goodness. One key thing. The one thing that I learned from my turd is that being a woman means that you are often going to end up in spaces that were never built for you that were never meant for you, that there is no space, that space was never created for you. And there's a mantra that we use in our house. And I, I, I'm very, um, I very much, you know, something that I speak is something that we talk about all the time, something we say all the time, especially with my little girl, but as a whole, as a family, one thing we say, um, is elbows out. Uh, and it's that physical action of having your elbows out. If you, if you do it, there's, there's that, that, feeling of you know creating space you know making yourself bigger and as a woman I know that I have faced so many scenarios where I'm in spaces that were never created for me but being a woman is a thing that has never being being a woman is a thing that has given me the determination to never allow anyone to tell me that that space isn't for me so I tell myself in those moments of doubt elbows out create space for yourself so you can create space for others um and that is the strength of being a woman love that i'm gonna be reminding myself of the elbows out as well thank you and elbows elbows out um and then can you tell me the one thing and this can be a tangible thing an intangible thing something an item a piece of art anything that you think has helped you to glitter your turd lipstick <laughs> any particular shade yes for me it is lady danger by mac <sighs> that is my favorite um and i grew up being told oh you know women should wear less makeup and you shouldn't wear lipstick and and i certainly grew up as a brown skinned woman thinking that red red lips were only made for the marilyn monroe types where you had blonde hair and blue eyes and fair skin and Lord only knows when I put that lady danger on, um, it is, I, it's like I become a version of myself that is completely different. Like when I put that lipstick on, boy, does it glitter that turd because I'm like, oh my goodness, I feel powerful. So find your shade and keep your shade. Everyone has a shade. Find your shade. That is your shade. And then you keep that with you. And even when those bullets empty and they're finished, I keep those because Lady Danger is exactly who I am when I wear a little bit of lippy. I love that. Um, it's amazing how like full circle you've become since your dad cutting your hair so short and you wanting to be a boy and you being so happy looking like a boy because then you suddenly fit into the world and the spaces that you wanted to be in. And to now well being a woman and being happy to be a woman and owning that 
and wearing lipstick at the same time. I mean, what a what a full circle. Great, excellent. Um, okay, so now we're going to listen to um, one of the art listeners called Lucinda, who has glittered their turd as well. So I've dealt with some turd for sure. Yeah, had an eating disorder, had anorexia, went into a eating disorder house, went through uh, the whole psyche. Had a bowel cancer, stage three, came through that and then broke my back and shattered my L3 vertebrae. But over all of it, I sparkled a lot of glitter and I'm pleased to say I'm now walking. I've got spine jacks and cement in my back, which allows me to walk. I open water swim, so I love seeing you open water swimming. It just frees me and frees my mind. So thanks for letting me leave a voice note. Take care. I think this kind of goes back to what you were saying at the beginning of this chat, like life is full of turds and there's, we can't avoid them, but it's how we um, navigate through them and how we come out the other side, if there is another side and what we've gained from that experience and what we've learned from it that counts. And um, so I'm really glad that Lucinda shared that with us. Yeah. I think over the last couple of this last six months, I've learned that, we were built to overcome, mm. you know, that's, we all have it in us uh, in, in different ways and different, uh, different capacities and we can overcome. And, you know, and I've certainly learned that over the last six months of, of my life, it's been one of the toughest six months for us as a family. And we, as humans, we, we love, we lose, but we overcome at the same time. And we're, we're, we're built to do that. And, and it's just listening to that is, it's just, that is oh that is ultimate glittering of turd, isn't it? That that is like a whole bag of sparkles. I think on that note, let's end this podcast. The way I usually do it is with a cheers. I do you have a drink next to you at all. It doesn't matter if you don't. I don't. Well, if you had a drink, what would be your drink? Cup of tea. Oh my goodness, cup of tea. Excellent. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna cheers with my um, iced coffee. You're gonna cheers with your cup of tea. Um, we're cheersing to life and we're cheersing to being women cheers well i don't know about you but i'm so grateful the great british bake-off brought nadia into our lives and that she is teaching us to get our elbows out whenever we feel like we don't belong somewhere or we're not welcome thank goodness for her rebellious spirit everything she said was so utterly beautiful she is absolutely right we should fear an independent woman especially a Bangladeshi one called Nadia Hussain. I really strongly suggest you read her memoir if you haven't already. It's called Finding My Voice. Well, I feel really energised now. I really hope you do too. Thank you, Nadia, for your wisdom. Thank you, Lucinda, for sharing your multiple turds and turd glittering with us. And a ginormous thank you, obviously, to you guys for listening please do share this podcast with your pals and leave a review if you fancy it it really helps people discover the podcast um you never know someone might really need a reminder right now to get their elbows out or wear lipstick okay so next time i will be speaking to a bloke uh, a lovely one named felix white um he's a musician formerly in a band called the maccabees he's now also a podcast host on the tail enders uh, plus he's written a beautiful memoir 
about how he has tackled loss and grief. Until then, loads of love from me and Lady Marmalade. Goodbye.